Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. With the third pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the New York Knicks select R.J. Barrett. What up, everybody? It's your boy, Prez, at underscore Presidente. Tired, weary, beleaguered here at the end of the road, at the final stretch. We're recording on Tuesday. The draft is on Thursday evening. And we're almost there, folks. We're right in the middle of heavy, heavy smokescreen reporting season. There's a lot of nonsense flying around. So I have a special episode with a special guest who's going to help us ignore a lot of the nonsense and work through some of the things that we have to look forward to, right? We've been talking about all these guys for way too long, and odds are the Knicks are going to be in a better place in a week than they are right now, and we should talk about that and acknowledge that and not just take it for granted. So uh, to talk about that... I have none other than the illustrious Jake Rosen at Jake in the Paint. He does basketball content, blogging, scouting, all types of stuff for Cerebro. Uh, y'all may know Cerebro from past pod Strickland guests, Rohan or PD Webb. Uh, I think this completes the Cerebro family. And if there's other Cerebro people who I have to hunt down to get on the pod, I will find them. <laughs> you may also know him formerly from SIS Hoops, from his podcast, podcast tag the role uh you may see him in these streets at tournaments scouting these prospects uh unlike me who is doing this from my couch and most importantly little known fact jake is also a knicks fan so that's uh arguably more important than the rest of that stuff so jake what's up how you doing i'm you said you're gonna add a couple points i didn't know we were going that deep but that was an incredible intro maybe uh the most detailed I've gotten in all my podcast appearances a cycle. So thank you for definitely getting us off on the right foot. Uh, you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> it is, we are deep. We are deep. We're about 48 hours outside the draft. I can't even look at my 22, 2022 board. Um, you know, I don't know if you do a lot of your work in Google Docs. All my stuff is in Drive. And Drive yeah. has this feature when you repeatedly open a document at around the same time during the day. And my 2022 board has like, it's like, you usually open this around this time. And I'm just like, yep, I know. And so we, we are officially there. But uh, pretty close to setting everything in stone. I think I have a couple more games that I want to hit. But um, uh, it's been a long year. But I'm excited to recap it all, especially through the lens of the Knicks. Well, before we get started, I do have to make an announcement. This is has Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to this pod right here. Pod Strickland. But only on Fridays, the one that I do with Prize. That also gets you access to the Strickland Mailbag that is hosted every other week by Andrew Steele and a rotating guest of co-hosts, which was fun. 
There's also, you get access to the Strickland Discord where the conversation never stops. I think we've concocted about 7,000 possible trade trades up in the draft to get Jade and Ivy, some of which maybe we'll even talk about today on the pod. There's a nine doctor that gets you access to my podcast, my solo podcast, Trick and Roll, where I rant, rave, and yell about the Knicks even more. You also get access to wonderful weekly articles by Jack Huntley, Matthew Miranda, and others. Uh, other wonderful, wonderful authors we have, uh, at Frank Barrett, Jeffrey Rasmussen. He wrote uh, an article recently, which was excellent on there. Uh, there's further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits like live watch parties, listening in on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast. One day yourself alongside yours truly. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So without further ado, let's get started. That's so funny. I didn't know that about Google. I don't, I wonder if that doesn't happen for me because I just permanently have my Google Sheet open, which has like all of the strict, it's not just mine, it's like all of the Strickland's draft stuff from like the other people who do draft writing so like multiple boards and like our nonsense mock draft that we did last week and like all types of other nonsense so google's probably like the algorithm's broken from how ridiculous this one document is for us but um yeah so you know we're here like you said i didn't realize 48 hours but obviously when you put it like that it seems uh actually kind of stressful so thanks for that but (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so Listeners, what I wanted to do with Jake is go on a little journey of hypotheticals um, and go from, well, first, real quick, I want to hit some, like, just get Jake's thoughts on some philosophical, where how the Knicks should come at the draft kind of stuff, and then just kind of go from best outcome to better outcomes to good outcomes and just see where that takes us. Um, but, like, taking a step back from all that, you know, the Knicks is well documented there. They're at a place where they don't have that, like, blue chip future supernova. They have a bunch of solid young pieces who, depending who you ask, uh, are probably (laughs) underrated. Uh, Listeners of this pod might say they're underrated. I might say they're underrated, but none of them are yet that kind of, like, untouchable or near untouchable, um, anywhere near that, really. And then they got some vets of varying contractual status with different pros and cons among all of them. So, you know, there's definitely not enough talent to just really ignore, like, whoever you can get is the best player. But the main thing that has been thrust, the main discussion, I should say, that has been kind of thrust into Nick's internet is we have a lot of guys at a lot of positions. So, like, how do you... Forget, like, best player available versus fit, because that binary is not really something I subscribe to. But, like, you want to take the best guy, but you want to also provide them with a good situation to develop in. Not just from a minutes, but from, like, who are they playing with and what's the styles and all that. So, like, if how, if, if you were Leon Rose for a sec, how, how are you kind of approaching all of that stuff? Well, I mean, I think the Knicks, and I, I said this, I forgot... I was talking on another Nick show and I said, the Knicks are in a really good place where I do think they have some pieces for the first time in a while. You, you can confidently oh, yeah. have young pieces, guys you want to bring back on second contracts, guys you can envision being a part of the team and being a part of the organization when legitimate tangible steps are taken uh, with them being at the core of it. I imagine 
with that being said, as you said, as you mentioned, uh, they don't have that blue chip guy. They don't have that one superstar prospect who we're building around, but that doesn't mean you're not in a good place or you don't have any direction. So I think the Knicks are in a good place for the sake of this draft because they have pieces. They're not totally aimless, but they also have a lot of flexibility. They can go with any position, in in my opinion. I, I don't think, other than like a four, I guess, I I like Tar Eason a lot. I don't know how you feel about him specifically. Big fan, I don't, big fan. Yeah, yeah. Really, really, Tar- really enjoyed what uh, what you wrote. By the way, that was awesome. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah. So I mean, I think that is the Tari pitch. For those who didn't read it, it's basically scaling down Tari and envisioning him as a slashing guard who, or slashing forward who offers you a ton of versatility. Given that the shot is coming around, the Knicks necessarily aren't necessarily in the best position to kind of mess around with that. But other than Tari, given how the board's going to shake out for them, and I guess we're going to we're, assume we'll talk about that, Knicks are in a really good place to kind of just go with the best prospect they see available. And I think with the one caveat, and this is basically the argument I got in on this other Knicks podcast I was on being Jalen <laughs> and, and where you stand on Jalen Duren and Mitch. Because if you're going to resign Mitch, I don't think using a lottery pick on Jalen Duren makes sense, despite how I, I think he's very good. And I think I would love to see him in a Knicks uniform. However, if you're going to sign Mitch and you're comfortable with that number, you probably shouldn't take someone who's going to be an, only a center. But with the guards, guys like Johnny Davis, AJ Griffin, uh, and Malachi Branham, um, I think those are names that I like a lot. And the Knicks are flexible, and it doesn't need to be. He doesn't need to solve our problems tomorrow. Uh, let's play the slow game. Let's keep adding pieces and get good basketball players in the building. I think that's probably the main priority right now. My priority is solving all of the problems in 48 hours in case you don't know. <laughs> like, well, there's one way. There, there, there is, we can talk about right off the jump. I, there is one way where you, the oh, quickest we'll thing you're going to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, I mean, we're on yeah. the same page. That's the, that's the only way in, in this yeah. draft, in my opinion. But before we get to that, him, uh, just just carrying on, like piggybacking off what you said, I I think it's it's interesting because, like like you said, we we can take whoever we like, but is there any a, another kind of framework for looking at the Knicks? Is we have a lot of pieces, and we have different skill sets, and while we have players at different positions, we don't quite. There's like some skill sets that we just clearly don't have. And yeah. one of them, obviously, is like downhill rim pressure, which is, you know, we'll talk about Jaden Ivey, and that's one of them. But, like, there's other ones that we don't have. Like, we sort of have movement shooting, but Tibbs doesn't really let them movement shoot like that. We don't really have rangy athletes. Um, we don't really have centers who do things other than just catch and dunk on on offense. Does that really chill. weigh chill. in? Or- chill, chill, You might upset some listeners, as I've found throughout this cycle. If you, all right, we'll do this when we get to Jalen Dern because I want to. I'm a big fan. I'm on the same page. I'm on the same page as you with uh with Jalen and Mitch. And the word is uh so I'll for people who aren't on Twitter all day like us uh you know Mitch has kind of had his market fall out from under him a little bit right like he like some of the destinations that were in the rumor mill were Dallas, um the Bulls, Detroit. And now, you know, it's looking like the Bulls are either going to stay put or make a giant offer for Rudy Gobert. Dallas got Christian Wood. Um, 
Detroit. I mean, they have Stewart. He's not yet better, but they might fuck around and get Aiton because they have a zillion dollars in cap space. So there's not much of a bidding war. So it, if I had to bet right now, I'd say Mitch will probably be back on a very team-friendly deal. So, I agree. So, like, what, so what's that number for you? I think it's going to come in at 10 or less. Really? Yeah. I mean, maybe, yeah, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm, I'm really bad at contract projections, though. So yeah, no, no. I mean, that. no. I'm not a cap guru either by any means. But this is something – the conversation I had with, an, with another Knicks pod was basically – they made a point that you're essentially setting yourself like you're taking you took two steps forward to just take three basically steps backward where you fi- you found Mitch you uh, put all these resources into him um made all this progress gassed him up on Twitter for three straight years and then you're just going <laughs> to like let him let him walk and my counter to that was like I get where you're coming from but at the end of the day, if I see Jalen Duran and I say this is this sh- this is what my center of the future looks like, it's not Mitchell Robinson. You have to be able to separate sunk costs from the decision that's in front of you. Now I'm very high on Jalen Duran. I think his defensive versatility is absolutely incredible. I think he has ball skills to make to like operate DHOs, pass on the short roll, uh, which is stuff I'm not there with Mitch. But inherently, you're taking on another rookie center who, like, that's a tough position to play. So the Duran, where Duran slot, where Knicks fans feel about that, I have found to be particularly interesting. It's a bit of a civil war. (laughs) 100%. Yeah, and I don't, and I'm not, like, calling for anyone's head on either side. I just think, like, if John Davis is off the board, if AJ Griffin's off the board, and Jalen Duran's on the board, that's probably my pick. But... Neither like neither here nor there. I think it's it's very very interesting. So I want to get your feel on where you felt about Mitch because if if you love Mitch, then you're not going to entertain this idea of Jalen Duran. And I get that's very understandable to me. Like that makes sense. Um, it's very it, I the Knicks board, and I feel like I'm like hijacking your podcast a little bit. But I think the way it's going to fall for the Knicks, at least, and I think we see eye to eye on a lot of these prospects because I follow you and I see your takes. Like the fact that AJ, Johnny, and Dern could be there at eleven is pretty wild to me. Yeah, it's very fortuitous for uh for this front office and for what we need. Um yeah, Duran, um he's just he's a lot more skilled than people realize and I even buy the the jumper maybe I don't know from three, maybe in a couple of years, but like Honestly, it, does, it looks fine. Like from mid range, he just he hardly took any, so it's whatever. But like, it you know, guys go from okay to mediocre all the time in the NBA shooting, and I don't really see any reason why he wouldn't any more than like some guard who whose jumper looks okay but is inconsistent. Like, also goes to passable, right? And that's really all you're asking for him. So anyway, that's all to say is he's really young and he's a lot of promise. And if Mitch was gone, he would be... I haven't released my Knicks-specific board. I'm going to drop it right before the draft, which mm-hmm. I guess is tomorrow. Shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I should probably look at that. But Duran is, is is kind of high on there, just under the assumption that we don't know if Mitch is going to be gone or not. The Knicks know, so they could factor yeah. that in more accurately than I can here on Twitter or whatever. But for just... I'm just making an assumption and kind of rolling with it. But uh, yeah, I hear you on Darren. Um, but let's talk about Ivy because that's what, yeah. like, the Knicks, the, the Knicks 
fans on the internet are really going through it right now because we've gone through at first everybody was like do i dare i hope right like do i get my hopes up do i should i even bother watching these highlights we don't get good things in the draft that's not what happens to us we get nice things we don't get great things i should say and i think like 75 to 85 percent of the fans i've seen have just decided, fuck it, yes, I am, I'm going to get hyped. <laughs> heartbreak is no stranger, whatever, it's just another heartbreak if it happens. If not, I'll be the happiest person. So everybody's kind of trying to read the tea leaves and look at the various reports um, to see what's real and what's not. And it's really interesting uh, because the reports differ a lot, uh, whether you're reading local New York reporters and national reporters, which is probably the case. It's not unique to the Knicks. It's just local guys tend to be more plugged into their own team's employees, right? Like, that's just how it goes. So it's, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think it's less about what the Knicks have to offer and more about the competition for Ivy not really being that great. Uh, You're basically looking at the Wizards, Pacers, and Hawks, and then you're looking at a Kings team that wants a player who can really help now, and only the Hawks have that, unless you count Kyle Kuzma, which, you know, whatever, cool. I like Point Kuz. I get to watch him here (laughs) in D.C. He's fun. So it's like one and a half guys like that, but really, whoever can facilitate a three-team deal to make that happen and compensate all the other parties involved is going to win out here, and I'm like... The Knicks have these assets that they were stocking for really a star trade, but you don't know when those are going to come about. So the advantage of having that war chest is if something like this happens and you got to do stuff and compensate multiple parties, then you can just dole stuff out and it helps a lot. And I don't know if the Pacers or the Hawks really have incentive. I mean, not the Pacers, the, um, the Hawks or the Pistons have incentives to go all in because they already have their superstar or in Kate's case, superstar in the making. And that kind of leaves the Pacers who are just kind of odd because they have like some nice players, but not that many assets. And I don't know. So I honestly like our odds. Um, But this, you know, the sales pitch for Ivy to the Knicks is pretty easy. So I'll, I'll let you give it like what, what would get you, I'll put it like this. What would get you excited about Ivy on the Knicks? And is there anything that would worry you despite going all in, like giving up, say, a 23 pick that's like top two protected or unprotected? Or are you just like, give me Ivy. We'll figure it out. (laughs) I love Jaden. And the Knicks fit is like the most seamless, easiest elementary school level pitch ever. The Knicks lack a standstill advantage creator and someone who's going to get paint touches and put pressure on the rim, and that's literally what he does on every single possession, despite still figuring out how to really be a ball handler. I guess my worry, like I would have two worries, is that like I think Jaden has some growing pains to do in figuring out how to be a lead ball handler. It might not ever happen. I tend to err on the side that it does in some capacity, even if it is in like a 1A, 1B scenario. So I don't know. He he definitely solves your schematic problem of move, like shifting the defense, applying rim pressure, as you said. But I do think 
it would be ideal to like maybe seek out a more traditional, if this were to happen, a more like traditional veteran lead guard to kind of show him the ropes early on. Um, him and Quick is kind of like a wilding, like that's a wild backcourt, but that would be really fun. I don't know like how uh, productive, but I, like again, that's not that's for a couple years down the line. The words 2023 unprotected scare the shit out of me. I'm not going to lie. Because that would be the most Knicks thing ever to like just have something go wrong during the year. Who knows? Yeah, I'm like, what if RJ like breaks his kneecap? Yeah, but it's true. That's really who who you're worried about, right? Like, who knows? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be like ideally if you have Jaden Ivey and RJ and Quick, I don't know what you like give up out the door. Like, you're probably not going to be able to keep all those guys. But, like, you shouldn't be that bad. However, you just never know. Like, an RJ injury, given that you're probably, like, knocking on eight pounds eight pounds of wood right now. But it doesn't, like, anything could happen. And that just would be so nixed to have a completely unprotected pick. And, like, that goes to, like, one or two. And Scoot so what's, and what's the, what I've been saying is, like, is literally what you just said. Like, give me Scoot Wemby protection. Top, like, the rest of the class, the other guys in the top ten. Because I have, like... So for people who don't know who are listening, the 23 class is really exceptional for a bunch of reasons. The top two guys are generational type dudes. And then the guys after that are like, you know, the guys, you know, we're we're talking about Chet, Paolo, Jabari, Ivy. It's guys like that, if not better, for like half of the top 10. So it's it's stacked. But, you know, what I'm really worried about is is top three, right? Because like, like you said, we're, we're possibly bad, but I think we're a little too good to truly tank. Cause you know, some team's going to turn that tank engine on Oh my god! right now. It doesn't (laughs) right now. It doesn't seem like it. Like if you look around the league, it's like, aside from, okay, see who's really, you know, just like tanking, tanking, but like, look, this this is going to go down. All right. (laughs) I don't know how it's going to be a lot of teams being real shameless. I don't know who, I just know it's going to happen at some point. So you got to, to me, it's like top two. And then the real awful scenario is maybe the Knicks jump to, like the Knicks suck because of injury and they jump to three and then we lose our pick. And it's Mm -hmm. not Scooter Wemby. It's somebody else really good, but not Scooter Wemby. But we still got Jaden Ivey. So I'm like, it's not, you know, like where would. You can't, you can't have it every which way. Like you can't. And that's a thing. Exactly. If you're confident in your Ivy evaluation, like which I am personally, and I think the Knicks front office should be as well, like I, that gets RJ Barrett exactly what he's needed for as long as he's been in New York. Like RJ's ability to still take strides and produce despite him being in like a really poor context for his game <laughs> specifically is really impressive. Like that's why I'm super optimistic on RJ. Um, is that like he's this downhill slasher who preys on advantages and we haven't he never had has them. them and he never <laughs> has them and right. he's still been like a really bright spot for the Knicks and like someone I've thoroughly enjoyed watching so I, I do think like yes the idea of that pick like that would keep me up at night 100% but <laughs> at some point like you got to pull the trigger and and make the move I, I'm just worried like apparently Collins is involved in these trade talks and like, yes, the contract is there. So you need to be willing to take on that money, but John Collins is really freaking good. So yeah, yeah, he's legit. And like the asking, if that's like the asking price, I don't know, man, it's going to be tough. It's going to be really interesting. I, what I've been thinking about from the jump 
is that when when Luca and Trey when they did that swap in uh, twenty eighteen, uh, yeah, twenty eighteen, to go from five to three, they gave up an unprotected. So, like to move up to just to move up two spots, and uh, obviously you can't. All circumstances are different, and like the front office people are well more equipped in like their draft and their trade models and what is holds what value. Like I have no idea about any of that stuff, but to move up two spots, like and that's an unprotected for the following year. You gotta think you're gonna have to give up some serious capital if like a pro- if a player of John Collins' caliber is like remotely in the conversations to be acquired for that pick. Yeah, that sounds about right. Bleacher Report was saying that the the John Collins stuff is actually going on separate from... So there's, like, two streams of reporting. There's, like, Bleacher Report saying that they have heard that the John Collins thing is separate, but parallel. And then there's other people who are, like, you know how the reporting is nowadays. Like, John Mm -hmm. Collins is in talks to go to the Kings, perhaps... For Jaden Ivey or whatever, where, where, you, where like the first part of the sentence is factual, the second part is just like salt base sprinkling some like editorializing or whatever, which, you know, whatever, reporters got to do what they got to do. But it, it'll, it'll be really interesting. My guess is it's going to be, I would actually guess that it's going to end up being a Knicks Hawks, uh, Knicks Hawks Kings deal with stuff going to the Hawks, Collins going to the Kings and Ivey going to the Knicks and the Knicks have a lot of stuff to pass around to all parties involved. So that would, that would, and Barnes going to um, uh, the Hawks, but I'm famously, famously bad at fake trades. So uh, don't even, you know what? Just don't, don't pretend I didn't even say that. So my, my take would actually be that no, no one is good at fake trades. That would, that would be my take. And that, such thing that's does not fair. Exist. As somebody who uh, has to engage multiple fan bases, I will, I will take your word. Uh, over mine i just i just do the scouting on uh, no cap stuff no fake trades it's just ivy so good that it got this is how good ivy is that he got me firing yeah. up the trade machine i don't i haven't touched the <laughs> trade machine for years so this is serious business here um all right cool so yeah i think we're on the same page with ivy he you know you mentioned another lead ball handler to show him the ropes once you get ivy it's kind of a win-win because to me if they say they try to get Jalen Brunson and the Mavs are like, no, we're going to spend all the money and pay him whatever you guys would pay him. Cool. And then like quickly starts and yeah, you might want a more veteran ball handler for some things, but for other things, it's pretty good to have a manual quickly, especially yeah. the shooting. So, you know, you'll be fine. It, it might put a little bit of, um, pressure on Ivy to, to help chip in, but honestly, I don't even think he would, I mean, it depends on how the front office clears the deck, but, like, they might, as a rookie, they might just, like, super sub him as, like, a six-man and, you know, maybe later in the year as the deadline passes, then start him or something like that. So, because there's ways to lessen the pressure um, on someone like Ivy. Um, You don't want to go to the other spectrum, which is what we did with Obi and play him 11 minutes a game as a rookie. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I'm sure... If our problem is like, wow, Ivy's only playing 20 minutes as a sixth man, like current pre-draft prez will take that in a heartbeat. So mm-hmm. give me that rather than like, why is Alec Burks point guard or why is Alfred Payton point guard? Uh, it's a different different level of problem entirely. It's a first world problem. So yes, uh, I- I'm down for that. <laughs> All right. So assuming, moving along a little bit, assuming 
that, you know, the Kings decided we're going to take Ivy. All right. And the Knicks don't jump up in the draft beyond that. So let's say they're picking at 11. They're not trading for seven or nine with the Spurs um, or anything like that. Um, who who are the guys who you like the most for the Knicks? You can go in whatever order you want. Johnny Davis has to start there. Um, number five on my personal board and very seamless for the Knicks. Doesn't necessarily solve your standstill advantage creation problem, but considering I, I would say no one else in the class other than Jaden Ivey does, you can kind of just take that out of the equation because it's meaningless. It's a moot point. So if you're looking to stack more good players who can complement the infrastructure you've already built can get on the floor and earn the trust of Tibbs, who is still our coach at the moment. Johnny Davis is going to defend the hell of the ball and be an absolute pest navigating screens. Probably my favorite thing to watch in the entire class, at least outside the top three or four, for sure. So I really like him a lot. I think it's a little murky with the Knicks because I would love him to go to a situation where there are advantage creators and there are spacing the Knicks for all the things they do have and the intriguing pieces they do have other than IQ and the shooting stuff. I think RJ is passable and has made strides, but the, it's not going to be like a seamless transition for Johnny, but the Knicks are far from done when it comes to team building, in my opinion, at least like, I think we have pieces I think we have guys and the guys are making intriguing progress, I think you can just add Johnny to, to the list and keep on building. You don't need to solve, as we said, you don't need to solve the problem. And considering there's probably one guy that solves the problem, unless we're talking about like Paulo, which it's not happening. So it, someone, <laughs> there's one realistic player, and I don't even know how realistic it is, that solves your problem in this draft. So if you're if you go up and get him, as we discussed, great. That was a really fun world we were living in for 10 minutes. If you don't, if you don't get him, then get that out of your head, keep building, get more two-way players. John Davis is a legit creator. Now the handle's a little bit loose, and I don't think he's going to be like a quote-unquote primary guy. Um, we love to use that, those words. But I think someone who's going to be able to cut through defenses, create his own off-the-bounce a little bit, especially as a scorer early on, make tough shots, get all the way to the rim, uh, run a second-side action, play off of guys like RJ and Quick. I, I think he's someone I'd love to see in New York. And Assuming you don't get Ivy, he's probably, he's, I will, not probably, he is my uh, number one option for the Knicks. I've been going back and forth between him and AJ, AJ Griffin, but I think I'm with you. Uh, he's like a facsimile of sometimes advantage creation. And when he's not doing that, he's still doing other cool stuff. Cause like, like we, you know, RJ and Quick, imperfect as they are, are still good enough and older now. And they're good enough where, like, they actually will get some blow-bys and paint touches, like, fast mm-hmm. ones. It just doesn't happen every play, like Jaden Ivey. And Quick, in particular, is a pretty... He's a pretty good passer these days. So, uh, there's, you know, you imagine those guys bending it a little bit for, for Johnny. And, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll just be happy he's not quadruple teamed anymore, right? Like, oh, <laughs> like well, he is at every other yeah. play at Wisconsin. Like, my favorite has, thing... Has someone to you, kick out to. You said your favorite thing was was looking at his screen navigation. That's up there for me. But my, I think my single favorite recurring tweet series that I was doing this cycle was uh, just random clips of Johnny Davis, like right before he shot, <laughs> because it always looks like some like real Mamba mentality, Kobe like <laughs> Jordan shit with like four guys leaning at him 
or like you take a small snip of the of the court and all five defenders you can see there from the other team and this is like every game and so I'm, one of them I even had to do a follow tweet and say like these are actually like different plays in the same half <laughs> like this isn't from different games or anything like that because I, I mean obnoxious. i'm laughing especially like i i don't know for anyone listening i go to wisconsin so i pretty oh, much shit. watched i didn't know that so I, yeah pretty much watched almost every basketball game uh whether it was scouting uh, it must be so fun so fun absolutely doesn't that make scouting it's, harder though I mean, if you're just like fired up all the time, (laughs) (laughs) so it it definitely does. It helps. I didn't grow up a Wisconsin fan. I actually grew up a Michigan basketball fan, and I don't because of all the DMV guys they have there uh, that I covered like when I was big in the high school scene here. I haven't completely cut my ties there, so I kind of root for both to to the dismay of my college friends. Good thing uh, my co-host Schwinn is not here on the pod. As normal as an avid Wisconsin hater and Michigan fan. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, but to the people. Like I, I'm I go to Wisconsin. I obviously root for Wisconsin. They're my primary team to root for. But they make it so hard because there are so many times I'm like, you have this guy, like you have this top ten pick, you have one of the best players in the entire country, and you will not run him off a pin down once. Like you can't, you will not do anything to make his life easy. He did get a lot of pick and rolls, which I will give them credit for. And Johnny was ridiculously good there. Like, master rejecting the screen, played with a ton of great pace, got downhill when he could. But other than that, it was like when he was off the ball, there was no cre- creativity to get him in an advantageous situation. He had no ball handlers other than Chucky, who ended up being pretty good towards the end of the year. But other than Chucky, it was a lot of post-ups. And post-ups are notorious, especially when they are the Wisconsin post-ups, of, <laughs> yeah. not, of not generating the attention of multiple defenders. Like, they're going to post you up, defense going to... What I would always tell people is playing against Wisconsin as, like, a help side wing must have been so fun. Like, you just don't have to rotate. You can just chill. There's, there's no rotation. Um, if you're guarding Johnny, yeah, it's going to be pretty tough. But if you're guarding, like... Brad Davison, like you'll just navigate a couple, a couple like off ball screens. It's like playing it. twenty one. Yeah, yeah like, where you only worry. It's every man. You're just worried about the one guy. Hundred <laughs> percent. Like I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna chill in the corner and like I'll dig down if I have to navigate a screen. I'll navigate a screen. But, but the whole concept of like being a low man rotating down, then xing out to this to this closeout and then sliding and re scrambling. Like no, not non existent. Did not happen. So you take someone like Johnny who. I envisioned I published a piece on him today and kind of outlined what I picture his real NBA role to look like. And now it will require him to kind of rewire himself because he was very heavy on the ball, 32% (laughs) usage, uh, had ball-stopping tendencies at times, if we're going to be real. (laughs) But with that being said, it's like a legit real creator. Uh, He is capable of getting paint touches on his own, even with the handle. Like He's a legit downhill athlete incredible functional strength knows how to displace defenders like when he got the sl- the sl- any sliver of space he was getting downhill and shooting through that gap. he's a really like he's such a great functional athlete and for yeah. folks who are listening and don't know haven't heard that term basically like there's to it's probably an oversimplification but like for knicks fans there's like jr smith athleticism right where it's like oh my god he can dunk contest he can catch alley-oops and in transition he's gonna jump and maybe posterize somebody and then there's all the other stuff, like how quickly can you shuffle side to side? How quickly can you flip your hips and squeeze through a tight space to chase, you know, Duncan Robinson around a screen or whatever? And like, can you take a hit from Jalen Brown and not like go flying out of bounds and shit like that? And I feel like Johnny's good at all that boring stuff, but he's also solid at the fun stuff. Not not necessarily vertically 
Although he did catch a couple of bodies at the rim early on in the season. And he can jump off. Like he, I remember he had two dunks. One of them was like a legit one foot jump dunk. Another one was two foot. So like, he's not a, you know, he's not some like below the rim bum out here, but his first no, step is also kind of solid. So he's just a yeah. solid all around athlete. Are you ready for the NBA champs to be crowned? Join the finals action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA bet and get $150 in free bets instantly. Looking to turn another small bet into a big payday during the NBA Finals? With a DraftKings same-game parlay, you can do just that. This NBA season, a customer placed a $5 same-game parlay and won over $5,000. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more. And boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet during the NBA Finals and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Yes, he's. I, I, that's what I came around came away with. Is like I do believe he's not a real athlete. Like he is very strong. And he's quick downhill, man. Like he he will explode. Um, I, I'm just really really high on him. Uh, definitely one of my favorite prospects in the class. And I do think he like he's a big time Knicks guy. Like the, him and RJ, if th- if those guys are your two and a three, and IQ can take a leap and like become a point guard. I don't know. Where do you stand on that? Do you think that could be a potential fill? Yeah, I actually think the. The the IQ things that we saw last season, like mm-hmm. those leaps are not normal. Like that's not regular development. Like for somebody right. to who was very averse and scored like zero point three layups per game to just suddenly decide, <laughs> all right, I'm taking a couple per game. And you know, sometimes he's gonna look silly, and other times he's gonna look really cool and yeah. score because he's has really good touch and the handle and the confidence to do that, especially on a team with not good spacing. Like that's that, that was a switch that I believe cannot be unflipped. That's not a metaphor that anybody uses, but I'm using it. Uh, or what's the real metaphor? Oh, you can't unring that bell there. there that's what it is. Like he's, he started that and I don't really see any reason for that to not continue because that was basically the last 20 games of the season. And we, didn't really play teams that were resting their guys. It was like the full Miami Heat and shit like that, that he was the one who led the comeback against. And he was kind of doing it. Like, this isn't Obi shooting 40% where I'm like, even if Obi takes a step forward, I'm pretty sure he's not going to shoot 40% all year. You know, this like Obi shot 40% for like last month or whatever from three. This is just like literally, oh, he's confident enough to take one more dribble. So it's not like... You know, uh, we're not asking him to windmill on people here, but that little last step, players learning to do that is really uncommon. So uh, I was kind of astonished, frankly. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, the whole point guard, not point guard thing is silly to me. Like, you could play him at the one and he'll be pretty good, like yeah. right now. We can talk about, like, you know, is, say, a star does become available. Like, is he a centerpiece? For that or is he just a guy in that like those are the kind of conversations we can have 
But so I, I actually, I well, I I want to hit one last thing before we yeah, yeah. move off for Johnny because I think I, I was ended up being really happy that the Golden State Warriors won the national, <laughs> or, won the title because like Steph Curry is now like getting loads of flowers that are way overdue, and like Dre ended up figuring it out, and we don't have to hear an entire offseason discourse like that. However, <laughs> one thing that I was why I was really pumped for the Celtics is that they had no point guard, no true point guard. Like I love Marcus Smart, no no quote unquote true point guard. And I wanted them to win the title so we can just stop. Like, you don't need a point guard. You just need to hit pressure points and throw defenses into rotation. Now, it ended up being their demise, but I don't think that it was because they didn't have a veteran point guard that was getting paint touches. Like, JB, like JT just didn't really have it like that. And that you live and die by your first team All-NBA wing. I think if IQ, like, I love what you said, you don't need point guard. There's no... There's no position police out here saying you need a quote-unquote point guard if iq is going to get paint touches and he's going to get all get all the way to the rim and improve his rim pressure like why why isn't he your point guard you, you know what i'm saying like if you have iq you have someone like johnny you have someone like rj sure you might not be one of the best passing teams in the league but if you're going to get inside the teeth of defense break their shells send them into rotation and have guys that can punish that in, in a multitude of ways that works like there's many ways to skin a cat especially on offense so I agree with you, and I think IQ's growth, especially this year, is going to be really interesting because you, assuming we stand pat and you keep all your 2023 picks, there's a lot of potential handlers in that class. Not all, Some really good guards. Not all guards, though, uh, and wings. There are a lot of wings, and, of course, some of them are going to fall off. That's You're never going to bat 1,000 when you're projecting from high school up for their draft year. But if IQ can really solidify himself and like you can nab someone like Johnny or AJ now and you have RJ and then you can maybe get a wing, like maybe we're piecing too far ahead in the future. But like IQ solidifying himself as someone who can really handle the ball. And I'm not saying you're going to give him 30 usage, but someone who can ping pong off of someone like RJ off of someone like Johnny. Uh, yeah, who could just give that. those guys a little break. And 100%, like, 100%. And, and more than that, like, he can do the he can side do passes. Yeah. He can do the, the layups, and he can do the, like, the Mamba mentality shit too, right? Like, yeah. he, he has some wild shot selection, and I it think, works. <laughs> like Yeah, and I, th- I think that internal... De- I'm glad we've actually, like, spent a good amount of time talking about him, because I think that development is so key for the future direction of the Knicks. Yeah, man. Like one place where I deviate from some of my uh, peers at the Strickland is I would love Jalen Brunson and IQ on uh-huh. the team. And the the dream utopia world is them playing together, even though that's a little undersized. I just don't care because and this kind of piggybacks from what you were saying is like the, the Knicks defense will be good, especially if Mitchell Robinson is back. Like, I'm not worried about that. The problem is we haven't had anywhere close to a dynamic offense, which requires either a bunch of shot makers like the Celtics and the Warriors or a lot of rim pressure or a mix. And we haven't really had either category of any, which is why we've been like ranked 20, whatever for the last couple of years. Right. Even with Julius, when he was in like super Saiyan form, it was pretty much him and spot up shooting. And it wasn't really that much transition and it wasn't really that much, like penetration wizardry from anyone rj and iq are still learning the game at that time and all that so to me i'm like give me both of them please and also rj and also ob and whoever else is left who can probably shoot really well like 
give me all of them. But at the same time, and the, the counter, which is I totally get, is like, there's people who believe in IQ even more than I do. And they're like, just let him cook. Let him continue to grow with more minutes. Don't trust Tibbs to play them together. Force him to play IQ 28 minutes a game at least, which is, I think, what he was playing by season's end when Julius was uh, was out. Um, not that they play the same position or anything, so I don't know if that matters. But um, So I, I totally get that as well. Um, and I, I won't. I won't die on my hill because we know how Tibbs gets. Um, so yeah, I, I think you can have a you have a version of most of the things if IQ is playing point guard and you have guys like Johnny and RJ and then you have shooters like Grimes and you know wh- whichever of the shooting guards is left, right? Like Grimes, Fournier, Burks are all really good shooters. Obi is probably going to be a solid shooter next year. Um, you know, even if Randall's still there, he's probably not going to shoot quite as bad as last year. Um, you hope that, you know, they don't do Randall ball all the time. But, you know, I don't even want to talk about that because this is a good vibes pod. So, so but, uh, now we got – but we need <laughs> – like, do you see Do you see any future or are you just assuming that something happens and we yeah. head back to square one? Because that matters a lot. Like, it we're does. talking about – we're, we're talking about the future. We're talking about the future of the team. And we're talking about it through a lens that heavily includes R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly – whoever the Knicks select in 2022 and most likely their 2023 first, whether that's whether those two can be combined for Jay Nivey might be worthwhile to me. If not Johnny Davis, AJ Griffin, maybe Jalen Dern, right. whoever else we take plus 23. Like I'm optimistic, but every time we talk about this and every time I talk to Knicks fans are going to Knicks podcast, we live in this fantasy world where we don't have this contract on our books. And this player didn't, take us to the playoffs two years ago. Now I do not, I'm not going to like subscribe to the thought process that he's the guy that everyone thought he was like the, the dreaded shooting regression came and boy, was it miserable. And I don't think that there is a long-term future with him as a focal point. I think you had to do that contract. You, he was that good and your hand was forced, but man, I don't see a future. Yeah, I, I don't think he's in the long term cards. Um, it's more of a if rather than a when, um, because if he has a slight bounce back, like I don't. So the big question is, what is his value right now, right? And yeah. there's some people like I've seen some. Uh, not Jake. Jake Fisher was doing the green room with somebody else who does draft stuff. I don't remember who, and. It, not Jake, but the other guy was saying that, like, oh, he's a negative contract. I don't know if I think he's a negative contract. I've gone um, back I, and forth with this with yeah, a lot I, of people. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the I'm on the fence. Um, where where do you stand on that? I think don't think he's a negative because to me, like, there's two things that need to happen for him to be positive. One is he has to not shoot three pointers quite as horribly as he did last year, and two is there has to be another guy on on the team to automatically take him down a notch in the hierarchy. And I think number one is going to happen most times, right? I mean, he may shoot like 30% again, in which case he's really cooked and really fucked. But if he shoots like 35% from three, then that's passable given, you know, the other parts of his game, like passing and rebounding and, you know, playing with force when he's doing his thing correctly and, 
that stuff is all good. And then most other teams actually do have that guy, right? Like, you look at the Kings, you look at the Hawks, you look at, like, there's very few teams that don't have that guy. Maybe, like, the Pacers. Like, there's a few teams that don't really have a awful ball handler type. But most do. So, like, pick a team. And, like, I don't think Randall's going to clash with, you know, someone like De'Aaron Fox, who has a 30 usage every year and has almost averaged 30 points a game several times. Like, it's... Like, we, we think he's going to do what he did for the Knicks on every team. And I don't, I just don't see how that's possible on teams. There's so many really good players in the NBA. It's now, I don't blame teams for saying that might be true, but I'm going to let someone else figure it out. Right. <laughs> so, like, I totally get that as well. I, that would be my thing is where, where is there evidence, you know, of this not being a high usage ball dominant player? I think that's the best thing for the best thing for the Knicks would honestly be get Jaden Ivey and let and like Jaden Ivey explodes and Randall somehow no like learns how to shoot spot up threes and just play within the flow and makes plus plus one passes and attack closeouts and be a dope post passer who doesn't go tunnel vision all the time like or he doesn't do tunnel vision all the time like his passing is very good occasionally but. You get my point. Is that like learning to, uh, that's what you said, is someone else needs to kind of take the reins from him and force him off of this pedestal. It's really interesting though. I I strongly reside in the, the last camp you laid out, which is like, hey, you might be right here, but I'm sure as hell not going to be the person to try to figure it out, especially if it requires me to give up assets. And that's why I would, I kind of err on the side of him being a negative asset on that contract. I said this in a next group chat that I'm in with some friends from school and got a ton of instant dislikes. And I was just like, you can dislike this message. You can disagree with what I'm saying, but make the pitch for me. And so here's, like, a, oh. so here's a question is, yeah, yeah. is, is a, is a, is a swap situation to you? Does that mean like negative, like one, like, eh, I don't know what to do with this large contract for like another, like, where do you fall in that camp? Cause to me, like, that has always seemed like the most likely, and there's different versions of that, right? Like, no, That's like Harrison Barnes is expiring this year, so I don't even. He but, is a so, big whatever contract, but like, yes, he's not multiple years, right? Like, cause like say Julius or Gordon Hayward or someone like that. So you know, this this is what I'll say. This is what I'll say because to me, it's not necessarily he's a negative contract to me because if you are going to shop him, you need to match salary, and the team that's taking him on needs to be willing to take on that money. I don't. I, I'm not going to call him a negative asset because the Knicks themselves owe him this much money. The Knicks. I, I don't. The Knicks books don't matter to me right now. Right. And right. you know what I'm saying. So, so that it, distinction you just made, I think, is important. And like some people who say negative asset mean that, but other people mean like, oh, we have to attach a pick because of how bad he is at basketball on this. No, contract. but it's, so I would love. I I would swap another. I don't know what the example is. But if you said, hey, there's this wing out there who is cool being the third option and is going to do – he's going to play his game, but he's not going to infringe on what you're trying to build. Yeah, like Harrison Barnes, but not it's, Harrison yes. Barnes. Or yeah, okay, like, maybe Harrison Barnes if they really – Kings get weird, right? Like, <laughs> That's my issue with Randall, and that's why – I say he's a negative asset because I think his game is super unscalable, and if someone's going to be willing to take on that book – or take on it, that contract on their books, it's because they're like looking for every time this conversation, it's like, oh, you don't think he's the piece that can put someone over the top? I'm like, that's one hell of an expensive piece to put you over the top, dude. Like, it's that contract is not 
dirt cheap by any means, but he is more of a negative asset to me because it just doesn't fit what the Knicks are trying to do and should be, should be trying to do, I should say, at all. And so it's a negative asset for those two reasons. If you In that swap you outlined, which is like, hey, we're just going to take on someone else's bad contract, but like they're just going to sit in the corner and provide ancillary creation, like play solid defense, and they're never going to produce for us the amount that their contract is worth, but it doesn't matter because we're letting the young guys play, we're getting them reps, we're moving the right develop- developmental direction. Like the Knicks spent like 50, $50 million on expirings like a couple summers ago. And I'm supposed to believe that the, the books are cooked because we have Randall. It's not about the books. It's more about like, we finally have these guys and there's just this one player who doesn't fit the timeline, doesn't fit the way I think the team should be playing basketball. And there's clearly some friction. Like I'm not in the locker room, I but I've watched a lot of basketball in my life. Body language matters. The way you react to things on the court matters. And I just think it kind of reached an unsalvageable point last year. I don't know if I'm being dramatic, but it, it's it, it got tough. It got super tough at times. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I don't I don't think you can uh, go back to the place before that. And I don't think it's like a personal thing, really. Like. Most of the guys, when they talk about him, it's fine, and I, it doesn't look like they're BSing. But like in terms of just on the court, that's different, right? Nobody's saying he's like a bad person or anything. Yeah, like that. yeah. So it's just like vibes on the court. Like I got friends I hoop with who I hate pooping with, like, just, <laughs> and I'm really good friends with them. It's just how it is. So uh, that's not an unusual thing at any level of basketball. So yeah, I I think I agree with you. Um, we'll have you know. The question is, like, where where does the front office draw the line, right, in terms of going fishing for that sort of stuff? Um, we'll see. It would be nice if we find out an answer in the next 48 hours. If not, I'm not going to panic, though. So uh, I'm just going to focus on who we got. I do want to hit a couple of other guys real quick. Um, we talked about Johnny, who uh, is, is right up there. Um, there's three guys in particular I wanted to ask you about, and I'll let you go mm-hmm. in whatever order. Is A.J. Griffin, Tari Eason, and uh jalen williams um and this is ian right yes sorry santa clara jalen i have no i don't care about the center and his taking charges sorry not sorry this is this is is why i i had to come on this podcast every (laughs) every minute we've spent talking my my day is made now there you go um yeah so what do you like whether it's at 11 or maybe they do a typical Knicks Brock Aller move and like snatch back to 13 plus another first or, you know, something like that. Like, yeah. how do you feel about those guys, the non Johnny Davis guys? I think AJ, I like AJ a lot for the Knicks in, in a way that one, he's going to shoot the absolute lights out. Like, if there is one thing I'm uber, uber, <laughs> con- or, like two things I'll say, like the two, two most confident things are is like Chet Holmgren's going to play ridiculous defense and, J- and AJ is going to shoot the damn cover off the ball like there there is no doubt in my mind he legitimately just like didn't miss at duke and it was just was that it, it wasn't like a hot streak he just came out shooting 50 percent, and i think dipped down he got he went cold and ended up at like 45 percent or something like that just an absolute nuclear shooter who can go off the ball has some i think has some traces of shot creation now i'm worried like when i first got into ajg in high school he was like a wing creator now i don't think it's that because he's very slow and the handle is pretty janky so in terms of getting north south from a standstill it's not totally there but if you work him off actions like you said i mean the knicks are gonna have to get creative and it's something they don't necessarily 
have been doing for the guys they currently have on the roster as movement shooters. So I do think AJ is going to have to require some investment. Like if you just stick him in the corner, you'll get value out of that because he is a ridiculous shooter, but you're not totally maximizing uh, the player you have. So I think, but I, again, what I really like is that that's just another building block. Like AJ can play with anybody. He He's not going to require a ton of ball, uh, like ball touches. He's not going to require you to run an offense a certain way. Like he's going to get his, it's going to play within the flow of your offense. And that's why I loved him at Duke. Like my AJ piece was very complimentary of him and the role he took at Duke as, as just like a complimentary spacer and then attacking in, in spurts and picking his spots very well, which is not the player we saw in high school. And so although it's a quote unquote lower ceiling outcome than maybe the guy I initially scouted, it's a very valuable player and something I think the Knicks could like RJ Barrett playing off that spacing is money. I IQ playing off that spacing. That's money. Um, yeah, we saw the difference that stuff makes with just having IQ and Grimes out there, right? Yep. And and yeah. Fournier out there. Like RJ spent most of his time with the starters, which is like Burks and Fournier can shoot, but like you know, Burks the Burks point guard experiment didn't really do any do any favors to Burks himself or anyone else. Um obviously Julius couldn't shoot, so like not a ton of uh space. Grimes, and, and like Grimes can shoot, but AJ's a different level. And that's saying something because Grimes is like that guy. Like he's he's not, like I'm not gonna like. There's that like top elite insane tier of like inhuman superhero level shooters like Steph and Des Bane and Clay Thompson and AJ can like I the fact that that's that not out like, of reach I, yeah, for him it's, right, is, is, is not like, out of the realm possibility. I don't. I'm not even gonna like guess at how likely it is, but the fact that it's actually a conversation is kind of under discussed to me right I like i agree i agree like even with all that like if we're talking about to me i'm like all right if he's just longer desmond bain on offense like what are we really doing here <laughs> like, yeah i mean so so one thing I, the bain stuff is interesting because bain like obviously was like a draft twitter favorite when he was uh, yeah. in the 2020 class bain's older so obviously right. his room, but mine his is like make, yeah 10 years or whatever right <laughs> bain is old and Bain definitely has had more on-ball stuff in in college, but right, same right, right. had suffered, but suffered from some of the same limitations. Who am I to say that if AJ Griffin didn't have senior AJ Griffin at Duke, what does that guy look like? I, probably nasty and something like <laughs> <Right>. Desmond Bain. <laughs> but one thing that is similar is like the shooting. Like Desmond Bain's shooting profile was bulletproof, and AJ's shooting profile for everything you can get, you can get your hands on. It's just as bulletproof. Um, the eye test matches it. Like, I don't want to hear anything about the wide base. I actually don't want to hear a single thing. You shoot 45 or 7 3, you can shoot however you want. Like, literally however you want. And um, I think AJ is just, again, not going to solve your problems, especially now when it comes to self-created paint touches, but adding another valuable piece. And you, you just keep stacking those once you get that guy, whether it's in 2023 or it's in 2024 a star i don't want to say it but trade for a star who knows um but it can't hurt to just stack good young pieces together yeah yeah i'm with you and the only other aj thing i wanted to ask you is like we don't know like he has seemingly fallen from like the five to eight convo to the eight to twelve convo for no real reason other than the passage of time and perhaps a couple of guys rising, but there hasn't even been other guys rising that much aside from like Daniels 
in the combine or after the combine and with workouts and stuff, as far as top 10 guys go, like, I don't know anybody else who's. Matherin as well, I'd say, has kind of oh, yeah? jumped. Matherin seems to, he seems to be. Vecini uh, had him five, on the, so. <laughs> yeah, the quote on the low post with Gavoni was something along the lines, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me, but something along the lines of like, Matherin has solidified himself in the top five or six, which is wild to me. I am not there whatsoever. Uh, I don't really understand it. If you're picking an off-ball shooter, you should probably pick the guy who just spent 10 minutes gassing up on how seasoned and, uh, <laughs> and no holes in his shooting profile. Matherin's very good off-ball shooter. Don't get me wrong. And obviously has more pure tools than someone like AJ Griffin, but we talked about function. We talked about functionality early in the draft and not entirely functional to me uh, as a, sl- like as a slasher or ball handler. But yeah, I don't, I don't even think we're going to be in a position to draft Matherin, which is fine with me anyways. So yeah, go on though. Other than Matherin. No, no, you're right. You're right. Because like, I, I can say it because other people have said it, but like the Knicks really liked Matherin as well. Yeah. And so like, they're not alone in that respect, right? They probably see, a little more upside than than you and I see in terms of like some of these tools being a little less functional. Um, so yeah, that is interesting. But like, what I worry about is, and again, I don't even know if there's any real, honest, good way to answer this. But like, we're not doctors, right? We don't have the medicals in front of us. Mm-hmm. I I just I just wonder if that drop is because teams are like, he's good, but I'm gonna let somebody else take a chance on the the series of leg injuries. Um, yeah, you know, none of them are like, oh, his knee ACL exploded or whatever. But like, it's just a lot of them. So, again, I I don't even feel like I have the qualifications to even think about speculating on that. But that's something I, yeah, that I, I have no going to have to, you know, I don't know. I don't know where the line is, but like, that's something they'll have to think about. Yep. No, totally agree. Uh, and then most Tari. We want to talk about Tari. Yeah, Tari, and then Jalen Jalen Williams. Okay, so Tari. Tari's really fun to watch. <laughs> like I think you kind of just start there, like a little bit erratic, at definitely erratic at times. Uh, we'll have to rain, be reined in a little bit, but a ferocious straight line driver who talk about functional strength, just barreling through dudes, takes contact on the chin, uh, very right hand dominant. We'll definitely need to get a little bit more ambidextrous as a slasher and finisher, but um, very much improved as a shooter. Got to about thirty six percent, thirty seven percent, if I recall. Um, after pretty much scorching the Nets in conference play. Solid intermediate game at times. Was more comfortable to floater, but it's not entirely there yet. A lot of his stuff is flash-based, but it's strength. You're betting on strength um, shooting and straight-line slashing, along with the defensive versatility where he's an absolute monster. Like At the point of attack, quick, strong. He's ultra-competitive, and I think he's just going to find his way in the league. I'm not entirely sure how valuable the niche is, and a lot of it is going to depend on how good the shot is. Because if the shot isn't there and it betrays him, the whole thing kind of falls apart, in my opinion. I, I think some people are kind of like labeling him with this creation upside. I'm not totally there. I just think the feel is very much not there and uh, not very selective picking his spots at all. And that's what you like about him in a more complimentary role. He's just always on go, putting his head down, getting t- to the rim, attacking tilts in the defense. Um, but in LSU, is very much in a more standstill role, which he was able to show the case of the bag, but also there was a lot of bad stuff as well. So Tari is someone that 
I it's a little bit confusing with the Knicks because he is another. Like, I do you think Tari's a wing or a forward? Really? Yes. <laughs> I think he's. I think he's more of a wing. Who yeah. Can, yeah. Like like all of the wings, big, uh-huh. small, medium, all at the same time somehow. Because on defense he moves more like a three four, but he also is big enough to play even the five a little bit, and he's strong enough to. I mean, he's not going to power through Joel Embiid, but he's going to power through a lot of dudes, like you said. So he's definitely just a very prototype, like, wing, however you want to define it. He's probably that. Like, even looking at his height, right? He's, like, six foot eight I, with, like, a, with like six a long... Six yeah. eight with a long neck. So, like, if you I, look at him I shoulder think, to shoulder, he's probably, like, closer to somebody who's, like, six six, which is not that yeah. tall. <laughs> no, I think he's a legit six eight, and And I think the shot is going to matter for him as much as anyone else in the class because the whole thing comes together if he's spaced in the floor. If he's guarding closeouts and he's going to be able to rip and get downhill, then I really do think he can carry some offensive value in addition to the defensive versatility, which I think will be the initial draw for him early in the career. If the shot fades and he's getting short closeouts or teams are sagging off and he's going to see the driving lanes are a little bit uh, more closed off, it requires some more decision-making and crap, quick pressing on the fly, then I think things get a little bit murky. Um, so I like Tari a lot. I would prefer, while I also have AJ and Johnny ahead of him, like ahead of them on my individual board, not Knicks, I think those, the other two are better fits. But Tari's going to be a solid NBA player, in my opinion. I'd have him top 10 on my own board. Yeah, if we go back to the the one fantasy world, not the Ivy one, the No Randall one. The No Randall <laughs> one. <laughs> I gotta specify, and uh, that's the one where I like y- y- Tari's fit becomes cleaner to me, even with Obi, because, like you said, um, you know you have the backup minutes, and then you can also like mix and match a little bit. Um, in theory, will Tibbs actually do that? I don't know, but in theory, you could do that, <laughs> and. I buy the shot. I, to me, like showing shooting improvement, the, like the ability to change and tweak successfully over time, that goes a long way with me. And I also actually like his. I mean, I'm not going to turn this into a shooting mechanics pod as much as I would love to, but um, I'm I'm buying it at, definitely from a standstill. And uh, uh, you know, I wouldn't even rule out not movement, but like baby off the dribble stuff. Like I wouldn't rule that out quite just I, I, yet. If there is if there is a world that we're living in in three to four years where Tari is just like knocking down hang dribble threes, I will. I'm very excited to see that. I, I'm, I'm, I <laughs> he hit some, like he hit some, but it's it's his freshman year shooting profile was really bad. So, yeah. and I kind of wrote this in my piece. It's, I, I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. If people are asking me, yeah, that's is totally so, fair. Like I don't know. I, how am I supposed to tell you if this is a one year anomaly and this is why I'm pretty passionate about the stuff we do over at Cerebro is we have Tari high school games and he can shoot for shit other than the state tournament where he mm-hmm. caught real fire in, in three games. But I, I talk about small sample size. We have a stuff. We have high school events and he just was pretty much a non-shooter. Wasn't taking them really. So to then go from that to this, especially after your freshman year, I am inclined. I want to buy it. I want to get behind the rest of his game. I'm inclined to say that it's improvement. However, in three years, <laughs> if Tari isn't shooting, are we going to look back on this and be like, yeah, no shit, the dude couldn't shoot. Look at the rest. Look at everything else. I just be like, yeah. And, and I, I don't, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was basically like this Tari sophomore here at LSU shooting sample is going to 
look back and like pretty much be a telling tale for where his prospect, like where he ends up as a prospect. Either it's going to be the positive outlier that never belonged in the first place, or it's going to signify the improvement that he was real and made real strides. And I think if he shoots the world in which he is a failed NBA player is like kind of non-existent. If the, if the shots really there, given the defense, given the slashing, like if he's getting closeouts and he's taking them in volume, I'm very confident everything coming around. But if it doesn't, then the whole thing gets a little bit murkier for sure. Yeah, I hear that. I'm I'm confident, which is why he's high on both my Knicks board. He's a uh, I have for the Knicks. I have right behind the big four. I have Johnny Eason and AJ Griffin. Um, yeah. That's not in any particular order. If I had to pick an order, I would just because I don't know exactly what's going to go on with Randall. I would probably go Johnny AJ Eason. But if I knew Randall was gone, I might go Johnny Eason AJ, to be honest, just because I'm, some would say, rationally confident in uh, in Eason, not only shooting, but like, I had a tweet that was just, it was joking, but it was half not joking. I'm like, what if Eason started shooting floaters, right? Like, not like just okay, like not even great at them. Like, like literally, if he does like any, if he shoots okay, any other random thing he gets slightly better at is going to just like have way disproportionate benefits because he's so good at a couple of things already. Like if his left gets a little bit better, oh my god! Like yeah, it's a game changer. Yeah. Gets a floater, game changer. Learns how to be patient and like do a kickout, game changer. Like all <laughs> these little things are game changers because his strengths are so strong and his weaknesses are so weak, and it's such a weird, funky dude. Um, yeah, I, so no one of my one of my favorite uh, it's like one of my favorite parts of scouting is like when a player is so what is already good at a certain thing, especially when it comes to like the on ball stuff. When a player is good on the ball and effective, like Tari was effective on the ball as a slasher, he showed the ability to get downhill. Was it always the prettiest? No. Uh, are the low lights really damn low? Absolutely, they are. But in the grand scheme of things, you take everything. At face value, he was good there. And same thing with Ivy. Like I said on the podcast yesterday, like Ivy was just freestyling on the ball, and you couldn't do anything with him unless it was like show him deep drop and make him make a decision in the short mid range. Other than that, like he was killing. And Tari, it was just like I'm on go. I'm, I'm like giving you a hezzy, and I'm putting my left shoulder down, and I'm driving you through the rim. There's nothing right. you can do about it. Deal with I, it. And like, <laughs> like it was like it worked, and part of me throughout the year i was like do you I would ask other people who like hire them like do you do not think this is a little a little gimmicky like do you think this is something that can help hold up and the uh, conclusion i ended up arriving i was like he doesn't even know how to really harness this yet and it's still like yielding pretty solid results so yeah i, I completely pretty solid you. like yeah. <laughs> the results so, are like breaking bottles and stuff if we're going to talk about like an uptick and a um a step forward in process or as you said right. that left like get, or or literally gaining any counter that doesn't involve him shoving off with his left elbow and doing like a little <laughs> euro step because if i have to see that move one more time like and we are the the low hanging fr- it's not low hanging fruit i would say because these are difficult transitions to make there are like hanging said, fruit yeah it, they're hanging somewhere yeah, <laughs> absolutely absolutely so yeah that would be my target pitch is, is that and, and I think you summed it up perfectly at the end of my spiel. Like you said what really matters, which is if the shot's falling and like one of these three to four potential things happens, it can get pretty scary. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And uh, 
I don't know, like the Atari stuff, you can either see the flaws and be like, oh, man, that'll kind of bite him in the butt in the NBA. Or you can see the flaws and be like, wow, imagine if he was this productive with all these flaws. Imagine if he fixes some of them. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, count me among the more optimistic ones. One thing that you said that is a perfect transition to take us home to Jalen uh, Williams as the last guy, because um, we already touched a little bit on Duran and Jang and Sharp. I'm just going to say the Knicks aren't going to pick them because the Knicks haven't taken any uh, 19-year-olds. AJ, I think, is good enough to break that trend, but these other guys, I think, a little too much risk profile for this front office. Keegan and Matherin, yeah, probably not going to make it to 11. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not into Sharp, but I am am sort of into Jang, I'm not going to lie. At 11? No, 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 no. Please, I mean... I, well, let's let me count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I have him ninth on my Nick specific board, but it's in the same tier as Jang, Matherin, Keegan, mm-hmm. Sharp, Jalen, Dyson. So, like, sort of, but not really. But yeah, I, yeah, I just, I, got you. I haven't even like my brain hasn't even processed Jang as a potential Nick because I just don't think that's the way this team rolls and. I just kind of left it at that. So that's why I kind of want to talk about Jalen because he fits a lot of the boxes that um, the Knicks have liked in the Leon Rose tenure, which is slightly older, rangy, long wingspan, um, you know, uh, can shoot. Uh, This front office definitely loves shooters. Um, The only non-shooters they've taken is really pretty much just Obi and Jericho Sims. Um, RJ was already here and Mitch was already here. Um, so he's, you know, he's a guy who was the lead guy, even though his usage was quote unquote only 25, right? He ran by far the, the by far, by far the largest number of pick and rolls of any player who's projected to go in the first round by like orders of, like Blake Wesley is the only one, other one, I think who's over 300 pick and roll reps. And Jalen like eclipsed him by like 20 or 30, I think. And, <laughs> You know, he does a little bit of everything. He's really, really, um, what's the word? He's a, like a, like a thinker. He like manipulates the defenses and he knows what's going on. And even on defense, when he has his shortcomings, he like knows what he's doing. He just knows he needs to get better at it and stuff like that. And he's had a weird path to get here. But one thing that I want to get your take on, which is the pushback that I've seen to Jalen, forget at 11, just the pushback to Jalen in general seems mm-hmm. to be, if he's not going to be the lead ball handler, is does he have the standout skills to be as productive as a secondary guy if he's not being a really good defender, right? Like, he's not some nuclear athlete. Um, he's not some nuclear shooter. He does get to the rim quite a bit, but he's probably not some, like, heat-seeking missile-type guy in the league. And I'm over here looking at his synergy and his spot-up percentile is 97th which is unsurprisingly rated as excellent so i'm like huh you mean the guy who can dribble really well shoot really well and always sees the floor and understands what's happening and capitalizes on advantages both of his own making and of other people's making was really good catching it versus a bent defense who would have thought and i'm like this guy would be fine as a secondary in the NBA or tertiary or whatever the hell you want to say it. Like, yes, you have to hope his defense isn't like a tire fire, but if he's like fine on defense, then what, what, the, what, what's the deal? Am I tripping? 
No, he's a perfect, and we'll see how how um, much of evidence this is because it does seem like he's going to go in like the teens. Of my working hypothesis that everyone wants dribble pass shoot wings until it's time to step up and draft a dribble pass shoot wing. And that's then, hilarious. Ah, nah, give me the tools, man. Give me, give me the tools. Give me the vertical. <laughs> give me this. Like it's in front of you. It is right in front of you. You took the words out of my mouth. Why can't he be your secondary? Why can't he be your tertiary? Absolute cash as a spot up shooter. I really do trust the jumper, especially off the catch and shoot. So Me too. why why can't the six six guy who's gonna space the floor and then we'll just run your second or third side action? Why why doesn't that work? It, that blows my mind. He's six six. If he was six th- two or six three, this is a different conversation. Like if he he's was a six, big two, six six, he's not like oh, yeah, skinny yeah. either. So but if we're like if he's six two, if he's six two or six three and doesn't have and isn't a crazy bursty athlete, and is he gonna be a primary? Whatever. Like he's six six, and I actually do like his team defense. I think he's really smart. I, I think point of attack, he can have some trouble, and like the screen navigation, like he's very upright. He moves he's just sl- like slow and i think the rim stuff was a little wcc and merchant <laughs> in like some aspects i don't think he's totally hopeless there at all but like i you compare his rim numbers like i don't think you can just take those without any grains of salt based on some of the clips and some of the stuff i watch it's like yeah you're probably not getting that off against power five teams but it's besides the point because he's going to space the floor for you he's one of if not the best pick and roll passer in the entire draft now it's not saying a ton i think that's why people including me have gravitated towards him because if you're looking for someone to plug the gap as a complimentary piece he's kind of the only one like i like Akbaji. this is not for the next timeline but like i think teams like fringe playoff teams are going to consider a Jalen Williams or an Agbaji. And to me, it's just Jalen Williams can actually run your second side actions. Like Agbaji is a great shooter, but it's not much creation juice there. And Jalen Williams has that. So uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's the check boxes for him kind of sound rudimentary and just like so shallow, but it's there. And so 11 is probably a little bit too rich for me, especially because like he is older. I don't think there's a ton of untapped ceiling stuff there so he doesn't totally excite me for the knicks and with a more when i'm taking a more future oriented mindset but if you're someone like the Cavs at 14 like for them at 14 the hawks if they stick at 16 it's like a no-brainer to me yeah i think it becomes an easy call once you get into those mid-tier groups i like his upside just because I'm not personally ruling out, like, running an offense for him just because, again, like, it it comes down to how well the the driving and the rim stuff goes in the NBA and if he's a good, not great shooter. So there's definitely open question marks, but, like, I don't think any of those are huge leaps. And the reason why I was, like, I have him in the mix with these other guys for this conversation is for apparently until the last week, I was kind of operating under the assumption that AJ and Johnny – were like easy top 10 picks. And then they both started just being mocked 10, 11, 12, 13. And like you said earlier, I'm like, oh, all these guys might be available, which would be pretty cool. But for the longest, I was like, all right, if we're in hard decision land and the guys available are like Durin and Mitch is resigning and Matherin, who I'm a little low on like you and Sharp, who like, what the fuck? I don't even know. And, (laughs) you know, even Dyson, like who I, I, I'm a huge fan of Dyson, but kind of less so for the Knicks because I'm like, yeah, God, the way the Knicks operate again with young players and players who don't do anything on not 
I shouldn't say don't do anything, but who are like who need some some time and some reps of fucking up on offense, uh, you know, to get minutes and stuff like that. Like if IQ and Obi couldn't get minutes and they're phenomenal offensive players, like I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's it just gets a little dicey and the board is apparently thankfully shaking out in a way where the decision is much easier. So in that world where it was like harder decisions, like I would take Jalen over Matherin for the Knicks. I don't know if that's I, a hot take. No, I, I might don't be a hater. That. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't hate that at all. At all. It, yeah, because like you said, like, e- like even though we might differ a little bit on the upside, like you said, he's still. It's still solid to get like to hit a double. It's kind of annoying as Knicks fans because we've hit a lot of doubles at this point in the last three years. But but, have we though? Like, oh, in the last three years. But that's what I'm like. I don't want to get maybe, so not even three years. <laughs> yeah, like I don't want to get so carried away with this like draft success. Like, look, it's been miserable. Yeah. It's so, the eleventh like, pick. It's not the fifth pick. That's true. <laughs> if you're if you can if you can keep hitting doubles, like eventually dudes are gonna score. And, and like it's, I guess it ain't, it isn't that simple because talking about team building, not theoretical baseball. But it, I don't know. I I don't hate that at all. It's definitely one thing I will say that I think has been a struggle for Nick's internet and even myself as brilliant as I can be on this podcast where I speak <laughs> nonsense half the time is like the time scale of our current rebuild or reload or whatever the hell you want to call it. It's kind of weird, right? Because like, yes, I wish the Knicks have had a player who, you know, as soon as they suit up that like, this is a home run, right? Like, Oh my God, rookie 20 points per game or something like that highlight dunks everything like that even rj wasn't like that but like putting those guys aside it actually does usually take like two or three years and you know sometimes most of the times you know like when the all nba guys you know like we knew people who didn't know evan mobley was going to be that dude quickly found out that he was going to be that dude right but like for other players who maybe they're not in the all nba in the future but they're legit like you know, 20 points per game, even if they, whether they make an all-star game or not, like sometimes it takes those dudes like two, three years and it is what it is. And because we're still, we're both late in the rebuild because we're impatient and early because it's only like two and a half years. So I, I get why some Knicks fans would be like, ah, we haven't, you know, we haven't, we haven't hit the home run yet. So fucking swing for the fences. And like, but like we were well, saying earlier, yeah, quick, what's your home run? What's well, your home run? Well, that's what I'm saying. People just want the the easy thing where it's like, oh, we pick somebody like, you know, everybody points to Donovan Mitchell, right? Like, oh, Donovan Mitchell, great pick, 12th or whatever, 13th Mm -hmm. or SGA who, you know, people pretend he didn't like sit on the bench for a year or whatever and (laughs) shit like that. But like, like we said, quickly very well may like if you put quickly on the thunder, are you shitting me? Like if you put quickly or Obi on the thunder, they'd have a sore hip like Josh Giddy by the all-star break and would have to sit like 50 games just because Presti couldn't let them play. Cause they'd win too much. Like they would be putting up counting stats at the very least. And we don't get that. Cause we have Tibbs and you know, IQ became like his favorite child and managed to only play 20 minutes a game, which is like a sign of true love from Tibbs. So it's a, uh, it's hard out here for the kids, but like, give it time. Yeah. You're right. You know, it's, like it's some time. of the doubles, maybe time. someone makes an error. You score from, Second, I'm forcing the metaphor, but whatever, you know, it is what it is. So, um, yeah, so I guess that's as good a note as any to end on. It's I know I've been <laughs> keeping you a little over here because those are the guys I wanted to hit. Like you said, Sharp, Jang, Dyson. I, I just 
don't see them in the card. So those guys that we've discussed to me are the like anything other than those guys would be a, very surprising to me. I'm pretty sure we're going to end up with one of those guys, even if it's a yeah. trade down. I yeah. I if we stand pat at eleven, it's looking like it's going to be one of Johnny Tar or. Eh, Tari, I don't know. I probably yeah. I'd be a little bit surprised by Tari. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I'd be surprised um, just because of the roster stuff. I yeah, I agree. I I think it would be one of Johnny, AJ, or Duran, which I'm like very cool with. Obviously, the Duran stuff is a little bit more complicated. But if you told me like midway through the cycle, yeah, Knicks are gonna not move up in the lottery at all, but you're gonna pick between Johnny Davis and AJ Griffin. I always said, sign me the hell up. And so it's looking like that. That could really be the case, which I, uh, it's good with me. The last thing I'll say about Duran is like, picking Duran if we already have Mitch is kind of weird, but it's not as weird if you're not paying Mitch that much. Because then it's like, if if it's clear that Duran's ready and Mitch is on a very good movable contract, then you can just move him, right? Like, the, the Hawks probably could pretty easily move Capella if they really wanted to, but Capella's still got some juice in the tank, and Okongu's still pretty young, so they're taking their time with it, right? But, like, eventually they're going to need to do that. So, But it's not, like, a untenable situation, what they have going. It's just rim protection for the whole game. It's, like, not the worst problem in the world. So um, that's kind of where I'm at with Duran. So I agree. I think those are the dudes. Uh, I would be super happy if we get all of them. Doesn't matter because we're getting Jaden Ivy, putting it into the universe, <laughs> calling it here. Um, that way, I can uh, quote this audio clip for every month for the rest of my life until he gets elected into the Hall of Fame. So, Jake, thank you for joining us on this uh, this journey. Forty eight hours, man, and uh, I won't say we get to move on because then we'll have to do all the like post draft analysis and all that. But like, maybe we could get a little break. Hope you get a break before you gotta start scouting and and you got classes and shit to worry about so you got enough enough uh, but I don't feel too bad because you I I learned that you get to see you got to see Johnny Davis play which is pretty sweet so um, anyway thanks was, for joining this was a blast <laughs> no thank you for having me this was a ton of fun definitely enjoyed it um and the Knicks yeah the Knicks are in a good place I am the last time I said I was optimistic about the Knicks was when I was watching us. Um, win on ESPN. I can't remember who we were playing, but in a regular season game, and I got way too optimistic. Okay. I knew it. I sent out a tweet. Uh, I knew it wouldn't end well, but it was basically like, "Yeah, we have we we have Mitch, Randall, and RJ. Like we're chilling. We're set. So this is the this is the core." And uh, boy, did that I'm, not age well. So I, I don't. I'm, that, I'm, that wasn't even a bad tweet, dude. That wasn't even a bad tweet. We know, know. how are we supposed to know that Julius would get like possessed and Mitch would gain like forty pounds of dirty bulk weight? <laughs> that doesn't happen. But it yeah, happened. No, but it does. It does happen. But I'm again. I, I am more grounded. I am cautiously optimistic. Well, you can put it that way. There, you, there you go. You heard him. Uh, you can find him at Jake in the Paint on Twitter. Writing for Cerebro Sports, um, both of which you should be following. That is his account and Cerebro. And uh, yeah, until next time, which I guess is draft night. So you can catch us on a live stream. The Strickland crew will be doing our thing. I don't have cable, so their speeds will all be ahead of mine. It'll be really annoying. So be on the lookout for that.
Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini yeah, it's fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.